loving us and chasing after us each and every day. I pray as Josh comes and speaks a message, God, that it'll be exactly what you've laid on his heart this week. It'll be hearts, ears, and minds open to what you're saying to them this this evening, God. We thank you. We love you. We praise you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, Jared. Thank you so much for leading us um, so well. Tonight, uh, as we open the scriptures, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, if you want to find that in just a minute. Um, We've been going through a series on the book of Romans, and uh, we've been going just, you know, chapter by chapter, as much of the verses as we can cover as possible, realizing that it's impossible over a semester to be able to cover even the whole book of Romans because of how dense it is. And one of the things as I look at the whole of Scripture, but especially the New Testament from the teachings of Jesus to the uh, different um, authors of the New Testament, I see that consistently they use word pictures to help their audiences understand what they're trying to say. And so Jesus talked a lot in parables. He told stories. He said there was once a man or there was once a woman or there was once a field or there was once a talent or all these different things. And he uses these word pictures to bring alive a message in people's lives. And as we come to this passage in Romans chapter 6, we're going to deal with the word picture of slavery. Now, the word picture of slavery here in this passage does not mean that in some way that Paul is condoning the sinful act of slavery that is real both in our past and present. He is not okay with that. Basically, what Paul is trying to show us when he talks about slaves and the act of owning slaves, he is talking about that to help us understand our position as people. Our position either in a good way or in a very dangerous state. And so he doesn't use that terminology half-heartedly. He does not use it to be flippant about the idea of slavery. He uses it for significance to show us our position before God. And so as we dive into this, I want us to say a couple of things up front about this concept or this idea of slavery according to the whole of Scripture. And the first thing is this, that no one is their own master. That's important. Nobody owns themselves. That's very important. Nobody is their own master, meaning that none of us have complete control over our lives. If we did, if we were the master of our own soul, why would we allow ourselves to go through difficulty? Why would we allow ourselves to go through trials? Why would we allow bad things to happen to us? If we are truly in control, should we not be able to avoid the obvious dangers and deceits of life, right? And so we begin to realize the more we live that we are not the master of ourselves. That ultimately every single person on the planet is not in control of their life. 
other forces, other people, other things are having some piece or some type of control over their lives. And so we are all on an equal playing field in the room tonight. None of us is in complete control of our life, and that's okay. That's actually a really good thing. The second thing we need to know from Scripture is this, that God does not force anyone to be his slave. That God does not force anyone to be his slave. Now, this is a very, very important and very deep theological issue that we're not going to go into totally. But here's the bottom line. If God forces people to be his followers, to be his sons, to be his daughters, it's forced adoption. If that's the case, then what's the big deal about worship? What's the big deal about worship? Why does it matter if we worship? I mean, you know, we're just pre-programmed. We're doing it anyways. No, see, I, I don't believe this. I believe somehow God's sovereignty and man's responsibility works together in a mysterious way that I will not be able to explain to you on this earth, okay? But I do not believe that God is forcing himself on anyone or forces anyone to be his slave. I do not believe that is anywhere in Scripture, and I cannot believe that that could be assigned to someone based off of this passage or that passage. You know, in our culture, there are a lot of TVs and movies about robots now, right? And especially with artificial intelligence getting more and more popular. It started kind of um, when I was really young with the Terminator movies, uh, things like Blade Runner. Things like um, Transformers that are terrible movies, but they keep coming out with them. Um, sorry if you love it. But m- one of my personal favorites, Big Hero 6. Okay, come on. Um, can I get a witness? Um, there are all kinds of shows on uh, TV or Netflix that talk about robots. Uh, shows like Black Mirror, Westworld, um, or my personal favorite, BattleBots. Anybody you know, BattleBot Wars, they're like two robots go against each other. Kyle Lance is like, please don't ever admit that you watch BattleBots. Some of you, has, has anybody ever watched robots fight each other? No, nobody knows? Okay, some people know. Okay, thank you. Thank you. It's really interesting. If it comes back on TV, um, watch it. But here's the bottom line. If God wanted to make robots, he could have, right? He had the power. He had the creativity. He could have created all of us to be his robots and to be pre-programmed to worship him. And so, in other words, at any given time, he could have hit a button or said a word, and we would have instantly submitted into worshiping him because we were robots. We had been programmed to do that. We had no choice. We had no will. We had no responsibility, and God could have done that to us. You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm God and I'm thinking about whether I'm going to create people, human beings with a free will, or whether I'm going to create robots, knowing that the robots will do exactly what I want them to do. If I want them to worship me, they'll worship me. You know, uh, so I have two young kids at home, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And one of the things that's super popular for kids today is to have a stuffed animal. When you squeeze their hand, they'll talk to you. All right, some of you may have had these. And so, you know, when, you, when you're at the store and when the lights are on and the music is great and there's all these toys and there's this cute stuffed animal and you press its hand and it's like, I love you, you know, and you're like, oh, this would be awesome to get for my son. 
because, like, love is a good thing, okay? So, you know, you buy the toy, you take it home, you know, and for the first couple of times that the toy says that, it's cute. But then this weird transition happens because I don't know about y'all, but I start to get creeped out by those things, okay? Like, you know, Toy Story, all the animals, toys coming to life, like, I'm wondering if this stuffed animal can see me. Like, is there a character? Like, is there a camera in there? Like, is this animal real? Um, it just gets a little weird, okay? And that's why you see a lot of horror movies with stuffed animals in them. It's just, it's in clowns. It's just kind of creepy. But here's the thing. If God wanted to, he could have created us so that every time he pushed a button, I love you. But over time, it's Worship is not a big deal then, right? It's not a big deal that his creatures worship him if we are all robots. We're not. I don't believe that God created us that way. And so in that sense, he does not force people into submission to him. I don't find that in the scripture. So with that being said, let's jump into the text. Romans chapter 6, we're going to start reading with verse 16. We're going to see several different things tonight, but here's the first thing I want us to see. When we begin to realize that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness, according to Scripture, this is what it's going to tell us, we will be truly free. Verse 16, check this out. It says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, I know it seems like an oxymoron to say the phrase free slaves. I know that doesn't make sense. But according to scripture, people are slaves to either sin or to God, to righteousness. And that when we are slaves to sin, we are not free at all. We are in the worst form of bondage. But when we come to Christ... Remember, he does not force us into slavery, but we submit ourselves as willing servants of his. You say, well, how are we free, though? That doesn't make any sense, John. So what, we're, we're just changing our address of slavery from sin to God, right? No, that's not the whole picture, because when you begin to dive into what Paul is actually saying here, we realize that we are now free to have moral choice. Here's the deal. When we are slaves to God, we can either choose to sin or to disobey God. Now, we can choose to also live in obedience to God. That's what changes. You're saying, well, that doesn't make sense. What about when we are slaves to sin? When we are slaves to sin, we will not have the freedom to obey God. Does that make sense? I know that's a deep truth. Let me say that again. When we are slaves to sin over here, we are not 
free to obey God. Because every single thing we do is based in sin. It's based in how we were born, our sin nature, that we have a natural inclination to sin, that we have a natural desire for sin, that we have an insatiable desire for sin, and everything that we do, every breath that we breathe, according to Scripture, is all about sin. We do not have the opportunity to choose what is good. Now, this is an important question. You could ask, then, Josh, hold on. I see some of these celebrities that do not know God very clearly and admittedly themselves, and they are doing some good in the world. They may be supporting a charity. They may be championing, championing a cause that is good, that is making the world a better place. Is that not good, Josh? It doesn't make sense then what you're saying. Here's the thing. Anytime you see the concept of good disassociated from God, the good cannot be truly good. Here's why. Because we believe that all good things come from the source of good things, which is God himself. And someone who does not have a relationship with God does not have access to the fountain of what is good. And so while it may seem good, and while there may be some benefits, it is not based in what is truly good, because what is truly good ultimately has to come from God himself. Because the opposite of God has nothing good in him. Nothing good can come from him. Nothing good can be transferred to you from him. And so when we begin to understand that we now have this freedom of moral choice, that yes, I can still as a believer in Jesus choose to do what is wrong. I have that freedom. But now I have the opportunity to obey and to follow God and to do what is right. It frees me up. I no longer am locked into this one life system. I now have access to something far greater and far more good than anything that I have ever experienced over here in my slavery to sin. It is freeing to know that we now have a moral choice. But not only are we free for that, we're also free to live for something greater. Those that are slaves to sin over here are only interested in the here and now. They're only interested in what their senses can experience, what they can see, what they can touch, what they can feel, what they can understand in their mind. They are only interested in that. They are locked into that life system. Now, in some ways, that seems like it could be exciting because, hey, maybe I can gain the whole world. Maybe I can gain a lot of money. Maybe I can have a lot of relationships. Maybe I can gain a lot of fame and, uh, and popularity. Maybe I can do all of this and craft my life so that I can become this incredible person in the here and now. The problem is everybody dies. And what happens after that? 
The problem is the fame is going to end at some point. The money's going to run out at some point. The relationships are going to end at some point. All these things have an expiration date. They're not eternal. They're not everlasting. And according to people who've been doing them for over 2,000 years, they do not ultimately fulfill and satisfy a person. And so in that frame of mind, you're only living in that. You know, I think about some of you have seen the movie The Matrix. I know it's kind of old, uh, but it's an incredible movie on worldview. Because basically what Neo figures out is the real world that he thinks is real is actually a trap. He is actually a slave to the machines. And when he takes the red pill, you know, he begins to see reality as it truly is, that there is something more, that there is something greater to live for. And we begin to see this played out, even though, you know, some of the stuff is kind of dated and crazy and that kind of thing. We begin to see played out an incredible worldview perspective on Romans chapter 6 that we are now freed to live for something far greater than the here and now. We're able to live for something eternal. We're not just living for the things that we can see. We're living for the things that are unseen. We're not just living for material possessions. We're living for people, and we're ultimately living for God. We're not just living to have joy in this life, but to have everlasting joy in the life to come. We're not just living for things with an expiration date. We're living with things and for things and for God himself that will never die. He will never perish. He will never grow weaker. He will never get old. He's eternal. He's everlasting. He's always been. He will always be. We get to live for something far greater. We don't just have a one-dimensional life. I think of it over here, man. I have a purpose for living. I have a desire to love people. Not for myself. Not for who I am. Not for what I can gain. But to bring glory and honor to something, someone far greater than myself. Who made me. Who created me. Who had the power to do that. I'm freed up not just to live for that, but to live for something far greater. And so when we transfer from being slaves to sin to submitting ourselves to God and saying, Hey, God, I am yours. Whatever you want to do with me, it frees us up to have the moral choice to do what is right in the sight of God. And it frees us up to live for something more. We cannot be more free than when we are in Christ. That's really important. Second thing that we see in this passage is that when we transfer from being slaves to sin to slaves with God, we have an eternal benefit. Verse 20, check this out. It says, when you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death, but now you have been set free from sin, and you have now become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
One of the reasons that many people live their lives in constant slavery to sin is because they believe the promises of benefit that it tells you you will receive. Does that make sense? So when we're over here living for the here and now, living our lives in constant sin, we believe a lie that tells us you're going to benefit from this. This slavery is going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. You're going to have an incredible benefit. And we begin to believe the lie. But here's the thing. I want us to imagine something for a second. And I I don't mean any disrespect by this, but I want to imagine that all of us tonight in this room are sitting in the the under deck of a ship that is bringing us over from Africa. And I want us to imagine that in the 1800s, we all in the room realize what's happening to us. The reality is we are going to America and we are about to be enslaved by someone that does not have our best interest at heart, that is not going to pay us a single dime, that is going to work us like dogs over and over again every single day, morning to night, morning to night. We are going to be separated from our families, and we are going to have to deal with unimaginable difficulties in our life. And we all tonight realize that. And so as we disembark from that boat and are assigned our different places, we begin to get to know our slave owners. And the problem with our slave owners on these big plantations is that none of them are nice. And none of them see us as real people. They see us as property that they can use. And so over and over, every single day, we work the fields, we work the farms. Sometimes we're beaten when we're sick because we don't work hard enough. Our kids are mistreated. We begin to understand that over and over and over again, they are not interested in us as people. They are not getting to know us. They are not allowing us any sort of freedoms from sunup to sundown. We're working our tails off over and over again. But there is one person in the slave owner's family that comes and talks to us one night a week. And as we sit in our very terrible living quarters, He tells us this every single week. He says, you know, I talked to my mom and dad, and and here's what we're going to do for you. Um, In in just a short time, if you continue to work, we're going to give you a massive amount of money, and we are going to let you go free. That money is so much money that you can go and do whatever you want with the rest of your life. You can live in complete freedom. You can buy your own boat. You can do whatever you want. You can sail to any place you want. We are going to give you so much money that you could do anything you want with it. We're going to do that for you. The first time you hear it, you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Maybe I can get out of this hellhole that I'm in, you know. Maybe there is a future. Maybe there is something beyond this. And then you begin to realize every single week he says the same thing. And every single week you're treated the same way. 
And so the words that you begin to hear once every week from the same person, second, third, fourth, fifth, fiftieth, a hundredth week, do not ring true anymore, right? The words lose their value in your life because you begin to realize you've fallen into a trick. And the trick is, I'm going to promise you all this stuff so that you'll keep living and working and doing what I want you to do with the hope of something great, but I'm never actually going to give it to you. You're next, never actually going to acquire this massive amount of money. Whether or not we have it, don't worry about that. But we're never actually going to get it. And so you begin to see that you have no business believing a sinful slaveholder. Can I just ask you this very real and personal question? If that's the case, why would you believe the lies of the enemy when your slaveholder is sin itself. You with me? A sinful slaveholder is one thing, but when your slave owner is, is sin itself, you definitely should not believe it. There's going to be a benefit coming. You live with here and now. You have this relationship. You get this popular. You get this great job. You make these grades. You get this many likes. You're going to have this benefit, whatever it is out there, that's going to be incredible. If we would not believe a sinful slave owner in the story that we were just imagining, why in the world would we believe when sin is our slave owner? Why would we believe those lies? We have no business believing those lies. Because the truth of scripture is this. You know what happens when we're slaves to sin? You know what comes from that? You know the benefit that we receive? According to Romans chapter 6, it is shame and death. That's the benefit that we actually receive. Shame and death. That's the benefit that we receive. But when we become slaves to Christ, everything changes and we actually have real benefits to speak of and the person who is promising the benefits can actually and will actually deliver that's the great news because when we come to christ everything that he says he can provide guess what he can provide and he will provide in abundance for us what does it say in this passage it it speaks of two specific things that we can gain Two benefits that we have, it says, um, but those things result in, in, in death. But now, verse 22, that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. In some translations, holiness is translated sanctification. And so one of the benefits that is mentioned is sanctification. What is sanctification all about? Sanctification is all about growth. Why is that a benefit? Well, I want you to think for a second about the story that we just imagined. 
as a slave, and I'm going to say as a slave on this earth, but also as a slave to sin, when we have no value, when we are treated as property, whoever owns us is not interested in growth at all in our life. The only thing that they are interested in is using us to get something that they want. All right? So let me tell you a very practical example. Some of you have heard me talk about in the country of Haiti, it is legal to own a child slave until they turn 16 years old. It's legal in that country. And so if I went in there today and attempted to rescue a 14-year-old from slavery, here's the problem. First of all, I would be breaking the law of that country. But second of all, the next day, that same family would have another child in its place. And so here's what happens. In Haiti, when a child grows up, basically what they treat, what, what, what they tell these children to do is they say, from sunup to sundown, you're going to have to do a series of chores. If you do not do these chores, and I've seen it happen, you are going to get whipped with a reed. It's not like you're spanking a child. It's like you're beating a child. They will have marks that stay on their body for weeks that have to be treated in clinics. They're treated like absolute trash. And the last thing that this family wants from these children is for any type of growth to happen in their life. This is a terrible thing. Because when they turn 16, they're instantly kicked out of their house. Now, when they're kicked out of their house, what do they do? Where do they go? What, what do they make of themselves and of their life? They have no education. They have no job skill training. There's nobody hiring house workers because that's in the slave industry, right? And so many of these children turn to two different industries. Crime is the first thing because they have to steal just simply to eat, steal to be alive. Con people into just simply giving them money, giving them food, giving them a place to stay. The second industry is prostitution. The reason being, you, you don't need a college degree to figure out that, right? And so they turn, especially a lot of these girls when they're 16 years old, they turn to a career in prostitution because it's the only thing they know how to do to make money. Because the people that have owned them have no priority on growth in their life. And that is what you become. When you are a slave, they have no interest in growth in your life. But thank God that when we come to him, he is all interested about our growth. He is all interested about growing, up, uh, growing us up. He said, I'm going to finish what I start in you. And it's going to be a process, and it's going to take time. But you know what? Every single day, I'm going to be there to forgive you. I'm going to be there to love you. I'm going to send people around you, the church, to build you up, to teach you, to disciple you. It's all about growth. Y'all, listen to me. If you're missing growth in your life right now, and you are a son or a daughter of God, it is not God's fault that you are not growing. Can I just say that to you real quick? Because God is all interested in growing you. But listen to me. Listen to me. That means we have to submit to the growth, right? We have to say, hey, I'm not a slave to sin. No way. 
but I'm going to submit myself to God because I believe in him and I believe he has my best interest at heart and I believe he actually does want to grow me and mature me and help me grow in my spiritual walk with him. And there are absolutely going to be some tangible benefits that come from it. But God is not interested in simply using us, but growing us. And there's a difference. One's about a performance. The other is about a person. One is about what I can get from you. The other is about what I can give to you. There's a difference there. And so when we come to faith in God, everything changes. He's all about growth. He wants to put as many growth opportunities in your life as possible. That's why our church, we're here tonight. That's why we want to be here every Monday night. That's why we have small groups that have come out of this ministry. 66 students last week were in a small group from this group right in here tonight. An incredible thing. But listen to me. You have opportunities to grow, and God wants to grow you. Are you taking these opportunities? Because Paul says later on in another book, he says, hey, guys. Y'all should be growing as Christians, but you're not. You should be eating spiritual meat, but instead you're still on spiritual milk. You're not growing. You're not maturing. You know, one of the greatest things I get to do, and I take this really, really seriously, is I get to be the primary disciple maker of two boys that live in my home. I'm responsible to help them grow and mature in Jesus. And so every single night before bed, I kneel at my son James's crib, and my son Jake, who's now four, and I both pray over him every single night. And he can't talk much. He can say very few words like pussy and cool and outside and mom and dad and poo-poo. But, yeah, spiritual. But, um, but his first... I would say spiritual word is this. He knows that when we get done praying, he throws up his hands and says, Amen. And as a one and a half year old, how incredibly important is that? Because I want him to grow up around people who pray over him every single day. I want my four year old, we read a Bible story out of his children's Bible every single night. And I want him to know the Bible stories but I want him to know more than the Bible stories. You know, I want him to be able to process those, be able to say, hey, what's the big deal that God turned five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people, you know? What's the big deal about that? That's a cool story for a kid, but it's more than a story. You see, I am responsible for their growth, and I want to do everything I possibly can to put them in situations where they can see who God is and they can grow up. Are you putting yourself now as an 18 to 22-year-old in those same situations where you can grow? Are you saying, Josh, no longer am I a slave to sin, I'm a slave to God, and I want to do whatever I can to submit to his level of growth in my life. Realizing that tomorrow you're not going to wake up and you're perfect. Realizing that tomorrow you're not going to wake up and no more temptation. That guy that's been calling you, guess what? He's still going to be calling you, asking you to do you know what. Those 
Uh, those screens are going to be right in front of your face, just like they were yesterday. Okay? There's going to be that same opportunity to cheat on your classwork every single day. There's going to be that same opportunity to get angry when you should stay humble. There's going to be that same opportunity every single day to doubt or to believe and trust. It's going to be that same opportunity. But my question is, are you saying, God, when I'm a slave to you, I realize that one of the greatest things I can possibly do is submit myself to the growth process you have in my life. Thank you for even being interested in growing me. Thank you for being interested in helping me not just stay where I am, but become more like you. Second thing is this, and last thing we'll talk about tonight. According to Scripture, holiness, sanctification, is all about being different. When we are slaves to sin, we are being conformed into the pattern of this world. We are supposed to look the same as everybody else. We're supposed to fit in. But when we become slaves to righteousness, to God, and submit ourselves to him, we are freed up from the pressure to fit in. Isn't that a good thing? We're freed up from the desire to please people. We, we don't have to worry about that no more. We don't have to be consumed about that no more. Do I look the best? Does everybody like my Instagram? And I'm, am I posting enough on Snapchat? You know, should I even use Snapchat still? You know, all these different things. We are freed up from that desi- that, those, those desires and those trappings. And we're freed up to say, I don't have to fit in anymore. I don't have to worry about pleasing people anymore. I can worry about being different, being set apart, being holy as God has called me to be holy. Because, you see, see here's, here's the great thing. Uh, a couple of days ago, uh, some of y'all go to UNG Dahlonega. A couple of days ago, we officially became a real organization on Dahlonega's campus. Uh, Revive Dahlonega is the name of it. And Shelby, she had to go in front of the student government. And present a lot of things about our club and say, you know, who we were and what we were about. And this is one question that they asked her. They said, uh, Shelby, um, I see your application. I see, you know, your bylaws and your constitution that we had to write and all these other things. Uh, and, and they said, that's great. But, but what makes you different? What makes you different? And, and I wonder if tonight... If we were asked the same thing in a spiritual sense in our life, what makes you different? What makes you set apart? Where are you going with holiness in your life? Because we talk a lot about being accepted and we talk a lot about being shame free and we talk about being freed from guilt and all this thing. But I I thought our pastor, he he said such a great word that I want to share in closing with you. He said, a call to salvation results in a call to separation. I said that yesterday during our message. And I thought, what a timely word to remember as college students in here tonight. That one of the incredible benefits is that God is actually interested in our growth. 
but God is actually freeing us up not to live to please all these different people and all their different agendas, that God frees us up to live for him and to live for his righteousness and to live holy, set-apart lives that look different from the world, that aren't conformed to its image, that don't look like its pattern, but we're actually transformed by the renewing of our minds. To be able to, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We'll actually be able to figure that out when we begin to see that God wants us to live lives that are truly set apart. So the question tonight that I want to leave with you, two things. As we talk about the benefits, are you accessing those benefits tonight in your life? They're here. God says he provides them to those who are believers in his name. Are you living your life to say, hey, God, grow me? Are you living your life to say, this is what's different about me? I used to be blind, but now I can see. I used to be lame, but now I can walk. I used to be in a slavery to sin that gave me no freedom, but now I have total freedom. In fact, I couldn't even imagine a life where I could be more free. That's what's different about me. I don't have to live like you live. And I'm not saying that, 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 that I see myself as superior than you. I'm just explaining to you the question that you just asked me was, what makes you different? And here's the answer. And I'm so thankful that God has done this in my life. Are we saying, God, grow me? Are we saying, God, make us different? Are you accessing the benefits that God provides? I want to ask Jared to come back up as we close. And I'm just going to ask you to spend a moment where you are in your seats, just alone with the Lord. So if you want to bow your heads and close your eyes and just get all the distractions out and just be able to say, hey, what is my takeaway from this? What is my takeaway? You know, a lot, a lot of deep thoughts, a lot of deep concepts, theological truths in here tonight. But behind all of that, we need to actually put this into practice. We need to actually do something with this. We don't just want to be hearers of God's word. We want to be doers. And so tonight, maybe God has laid something specific on your heart. Maybe you say, hey, Josh, if I'm honest with you tonight, I haven't been living in the freedom that God provides. I've been reverting back to my own, my old life again and again. And, and I feel like I've been trapped in by, by sin, trapped in by not having the opportunity to choose what's right. I feel like I've been chained but Josh, I got to tell you, I know Jesus. I know I'm a Christian. And I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to live trapped, enslaved. I don't want to live for the here and now, Josh. That's the old life. That's the old self. I want to put that off and put on the new self. The new life that you've given me. I want to live in freedom 
I want to live for something greater, something more. I want to live with purpose, with passion, with determination. Not for myself, but for someone who is much greater than me, God himself. For a purpose much greater than mine, God's purpose, God's will, God's plan. And Josh, I do tonight realize that I want access to the growth plan of God. I want to submit to that. And I want, with God's help, to be able to answer that question, what makes me different? So God, I'm just praying all over in this room tonight that you are working, moving in the hearts and lives of students. That God, if I could even pray tonight that you would change us, that you would make us different from the way that we came in. God, that you would speak to individuals. It may have nothing to do with what anything I just said. But God, when you move, when you work, when you speak, I pray that we would respond. I pray that we would not ignore, that we would not reject. So God, would you help us to solidify this message in our hearts. Thank you for your word, for its power, for the difference that it makes in our life. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to have one last song. We've removed maybe a couple of rows of chairs up here. If some of you want to come down forward, you want to kneel right here, just have a time of prayer alone with the Lord, you can do that. If you want to just sit and pray where you are, you can do that. If you want to find someone else and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. I need you to help. Help me to hold, uh, help to hold me accountable to something. I believe God is telling me. I believe God's working in my life. If you want to just stand, raise your hands and worship, you can do that. Whatever God tells you to do during this time, you have the freedom. You have the opportunity to do as Jared leads. Let's respond as the Lord calls us to. Amen.